All right, so we've been in this series back to school over the last uh, five weeks, uh, starting with Small Group Sunday at the end of August, and working our way through, we've been looking at uh, relational health, spiritual health, emotional health, financial health, and today we're moving on to physical health. So look in all these areas, because we know that the, the last year and a half has, has taken it out of us a little bit, hasn't it? It's taken it out of the whole world, to be honest. And we kind of wanted to create a, a kind of getting back to a sound and sure foundation. And so right at the heart of all these healths, you know, we've brought Jesus right into it, haven't we? Because that's, that's where we're going to find health in all these things. So relational health, I don't know if you remember, we, we looked at how in our relationships we need to give unconditionally. That was one of the things we had to do. We have to serve humbly as Christians, and we have to repair those relationships as far as it's depends on us. We have to repair those relationships that we can repair. Okay? You remember uh, Jesus says, if you come to the temple to bring your uh, sacrifice and you uh, remember that something's got, somebody's got something against you, he said, leave the, leave, leave the sacrifice there. Leave the offering there and go and put it right first. That was more important to him. Your relationships with each other. Jesus is saying, is actually, when you get that right, you'll get your relationship with God right. So that's relational health. Spiritual health, we looked at um, doing battle with our, our carnal self, our worldly self, putting off the old man and putting on the new man, being renewed in the attitude of our minds. Where there were some various weapons that we talked about, uh, how we can um, kind of get spiritual, spiritually more healthy, reading the Bible, praying, gathering like this in fellowship, gathering in small groups, those kinds of things. Emotional health. Um, was uh, through brought how oh, it was a great scientific talk, wasn't it, about bringing our emotions forward in our brain. It was fantastic and really helped us to, to have a visual image of, of how we can, our emotions, we, we kind of want to be influenced by our emotions because they're not bad enough of themselves, but we don't want to be controlled by them. So we have to bring them to the front of our brain where we can make the right choices. And, and then last week, we looked at financial health, and we talked about a contentment is a route to financial health. We talked about how um, integrity is a route to financial health. We talked about how generosity is a route to financial health. And we talked about how, most of all, trusting God is a route to financial health, trusting God alone, and particularly in the area of, of tithing and offerings. And so today, uh, we're going to look at physical health. Now, I had a plan. I had a good plan for today. Um, but then, God did away with the plan, which is, which is great. It's exciting when he does that, right? When, when the Holy Spirit talks to you and says, no, no. I said, no, but it's a good plan. No. Oh, come on. It's really good. They'll love it. No. Okay, fair enough. So, we're doing something a bit different today, and I've asked my dad to come and talk to you. Oh, what a treat. Yeah, because um, I've grown up living with my parents, obviously, uh, and in fact, I'm, I'm there again now. <laughs> or, yeah, they're living with, with us. And it's, um, I've seen the life of faith that they have lived. And so I've asked my dad 
to come and speak to us. We're going we're gonna to be talking about... See, I was going to come... Originally, my plan was we were going to talk about physical health, you know, getting healthy, eating right, and exercising, you know, because this body doesn't come, doesn't come cheap, you know. It doesn't come easily. Uh, and maybe that's why God said, no. Because <laughs> uh, you can't really inspire people with that. Um, so... But what he wanted us to talk about today was healing. And actually, most of all, he wanted us to be praying for each other for healing. And so this morning, I want to spend this first part of, the, of this time together, hopefully inspiring you and building your faith. And I know of no better person to do that than my dad. So, uh, Jeffrey Bird, come on down. dreadful when God changes someone's mind and lays the change on me. <laughs> it's somehow not fair. But there you go. Um, talking about this healing, I can't honestly say that I've got loads of experience, but I have got some. And uh, a little bit of uh, what God has led us as a family into bringing healing to people through just caring for them and loving them but also the supernatural side of healing where we trust God for a miracle to bring change to someone to put right what's wrong and to bring healing that sets them back on a road of health and normality and it's important that this issue of healing isn't something that we push to one side or forget. We do that with so many things that we learn along the road and then they become almost normal to us and we let them drift. And, and, and the church is like that and it's been like that for centuries that the church has breakthrough and then it settles again into just the, the norm and the mundane and doing the same thing all the time. And that's why God, by his grace, intervenes sometimes, has to intervene in a dramatic way and brings a, a, either a revival or a renewal or a heightening of something that brings change within the life of the Christian community. I mean, it's happened all through the centuries um, through different ways. Things like the, the, the Reformation, I suppose, was a, a, a big thing where God stirred somebody up to uh, to speak out and to bring change to the way that the church was going and the way that the church was acting and and things that were brought in then and the change that came has affected the church through the centuries uh, still in in some way doing that but i just want to mention some of the things that where god intervened in the last century last century and first of all the Welsh Revival. I won't ask if anybody remembers the Welsh Revival, but I will suggest that probably you must have heard that there was a revival in Wales, which happened in 1904, the beginning of the last century. And it was an amazing thing. It suddenly struck them. There was a people, a minister, 
who was praying for something, for God to break through, because things had become very static within the life of the church and the life of the community. Things were just going on as normal, everyday things, and uh, nothing seemed to be moving forward. And then suddenly God hit them. And uh, not physically, I might say, but God uh, intervened in that situation. And uh, he didn't stir up people to go out and preach so much as bring conviction on the population of the nation of Wales. And uh, there was people in the street just getting convicted of, of sin and crying out to God for restoration and for uh, forgiveness. The people working down the pits suddenly felt a sense of guilt for the way that they had sidelined God in their life and uh, was crying out to God for forgiveness and seeking forgiveness for the way that things had been. And it was happening all over. And it was only a, a short period of time, less than a year that the revival went on for. But in that year, a hundred thousand people were saved. And by the ministry of God in that nation. And uh, it's great when God intervenes like that. We don't see much of it, but it, it, wouldn't it be wonderful if suddenly people were on the streets crying out to God to save them and to forgive them and to bring change into their life. And that's how God intervened there. And uh, of course, for a time, the momentum of that was great. The churches got filled New churches were built. The uh, apostolic movement in this country was born out of that. We have a, uh, a bit of a, a link to them, as you know, to the apostolic church movement. And, uh, and so many other things happened at that time. But after a period of time, it just died down again. It became normal living, normal church, Sunday worship. And, uh, and, and, and that's what happens because we're human that, that, that's the way we are God intervenes in our life in some powerful way and it brings change and it brings excitement and it brings perhaps new vision but over a period of time it settles we're the people who settle and uh, uh, make things become the normal life and rather than there being an excitement and a thrusting out, uh, people settle for what has happened in the past and live in the glory of that instead of maintaining it and ensuring that the power of God is continuing to work and continuing to work and to build on what God has done. And uh, then the, the next one I want to mention is the Azusa Street Revival, uh, which is in the USA. It, it was only a few years after the Pentecostal denomination came into being, and uh, then in this little Pentecostal church in California, Azusa, California, suddenly God intervened. Things weren't moving forward. Things, uh, the Pentecostal church had tried to bring a bit of change, but it wasn't touching many people. And so God, again, sent this revival. And this was a revival not so much to 
knock people out and save them wherever they were in a divine act of the Holy Spirit. But this was a, a stirring up of, of the Christian people and the Christian community in that area and in much of that nation. And it was, uh, became a time when things were restored, things uh, from the New Testament and things that have uh, cropped up throughout the church through the ages, that suddenly there was a revival of the, uh, not just spirituality, but of the supernatural. People began to uh, witness and uh, experience the, the sort of gifts of the Holy Spirit flowing through them and touching people's lives. They uh, found that they were not just born again, but they began to feel full of the Holy Spirit. There was uh, a, a lot of speaking in tongues, a lot of prophesying, a lot of experiencing the supernatural in their worship and in their ministry. And, uh, and of course, because of that, it, it attracted people and people were drawn in. And uh, through the ministry of the church, they were finding faith. And then the third one, the, in uh, 1949, the Hebridean revival, um, now, some would, be, would have been around then, <laughs> I suppose. I was. <laughs> uh, but that was in uh, 1949, and I don't remember it because I was only uh, uh, three, three or four years old, maybe five years old. Uh, but this Hebridean revival, that again was an uh, intervention of God. The, uh, the people there, uh, they had got Christianity, they were... Uh, worshipping God, they got into a rhythm of Sunday worship and things like that. Um, but they, uh, they, they weren't feeling so good about it and so excited about it as perhaps one should when one is in fellowship with the living God. And uh, God intervened there and he suddenly started to move in them. And it wasn't so much uh, again, a revival of uh, hitting people on the street, but it was a revival of ministry. And a guy called Duncan Campbell, who was a, an evangelist in Scotland, as soon as he heard that revival was breaking out in the Hebrides, he went there and uh, he started programs of preaching and ministry. And people were coming out all hours of day and night, meeting in all sorts of places, in the police station, in the hospital, in the schools, everywhere, because they just felt drawn to come together to, to worship God and to hear the word being expounded and uh, uh, learning how to praise God and to really enjoy fellowship one with the other. And so it became a place where they uh, just gathered, they heard the word, they sang their hymns, and they were full of joy and anticipation. And of course, the, the standards and morals and everything else that came with that made a, a noticeable change within that area of Scotland. There was only one of the, uh, one of the places, the main town in there, Stornoway, wasn't touched by the revival. And people looking back on it say that's because the 
ministers in that place wouldn't accept the revival. They thought it would upset the life of the church. And, it, and God, therefore, left Storn away out of that, that revival. Um, but, uh, but other than that, it was a, a great thing, and a, a great hunger was on that nation to learn about the things of God and to go forward with God. Uh, so that was true, and that was good. And then uh, later on, 1958, that was the beginning of a move in this country again. It was, uh, was, wasn't a revival. It was a renewal of things, a restoration, I suppose you would say. It got dubbed as the charismatic movement, <laughs> which I'm sure you know of. And uh, this charismatic movement brought change to people, to the church. It brought change to people within the churches. Most of the uh, churches didn't accept it or want to be a part of it, but individuals and people inside the churches um, were discovering this uh, enlightenment and this sense of, uh, of a new spirituality, a revival within the, uh, the gifts of the spirit being operated within and through people, ordinary people, as they met together in church. God gave a release and poured out his spirit and uh, uh, this affected us. And uh, it, uh, it grew as people who were uh, getting caught up in it, whether either had to leave their churches or that uh, others, because of their churches, were close to it will leave their churches anyway, and there began to spring up a sort of thing which was called uh, the house church movement. And again, we were a part of that. We, uh, we because we had to leave the church we were in, because we were uh, enjoying this new move of God. And uh, we were started a house group meeting in a house meeting in our home and in another guy's home. And there was ourself and another family that had to leave our church, and then there was another uh, couple that we knew and fellowshiped with who were from the Brethren Church, and they had to leave their church. And so we formed a house church, and we began to uh, enjoy this move of God and uh, a new openness to what the Spirit might want to do. And uh, he had us doing all sorts of things. We even took part in the local carnivals by having floats and having a tent to pray for people and things like that. We were doing ministry on the streets. We were doing ministry, door knocking, doing all sorts of things that we were stirred up to do in this move of God and of getting a love for other people, for people who were suffering and struggling and uh, seeking to be help to those people who were... Um, alcoholic people who were on drugs, people who uh, were just being rejected by others and uh, uh, unable to uh, live in uh, the rest of the community. And uh, God was doing things. And also we found that by the use or the benefit of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, when we got together to worship, God was able to speak into us through different people within the church gathering. God was able to do things. He was able to minister his word and give us direction, give us encouragement, 
build us up. And that's what the gifts of the Spirit are for, really, to, to build us up, to make us strong and give us vision and hope for what he wants us to fulfill in the world in reaching lost people for him. And, uh, uh, yeah, we uh, were trying all sorts of things and getting involved in all sorts of things, including uh, healing and deliverance of people. Because many people who are caught up in that sort of lifestyle needs deliverance before you can really uh, get through to them and answer them. And uh, so this was important. We found that the gift of healing and deliverance was a ministry uh, which had partly or very greatly been ignored in the past but was needful and which we could be participants in, fellowshipping and working with God to bring people to wholeness, deliverance and health. And uh, one of the things that we did, uh, particularly on the front of healing, there was a little church in our, in our town, a little Anglican church, and uh, it was just a satellite of a bigger Anglican church. But the, um, the curate who was looking after it, he got filled with the Spirit and had an experience of God. And uh, together with, uh, I think it was two or three women within that church, they felt God wanted them to start a healing ministry. And so they decided to have a healing service once a month on a Wednesday night. That's not significant, but it just happened to be on a Wednesday night. And uh, they, they asked some of us in, within our fellowship because they knew that we were in renewal and uh, in enjoying these blessings of God. They asked us to be involved with them and to give them support. So some of us went along to these meetings. And uh, the reason I'm saying this is to demonstrate something how God moves in the lives of people. And one thing that was very noticeable and has become noticeable to me at that time was uh, the different ways that God can use to bring healing in people. And I want us to just look at, at a few of the examples of Jesus in, uh, in the uh, book of Matthew. Book of Matthew chapter 8. It's uh, at the end of the uh, Sermon on the Mount where God has been ministering uh, to people and introducing them to new covenant thought and new covenant teaching. And uh, as, as, as he finished his sermon and uh, uh, there came to him uh, a leper have we got that on, on the screen, by the way? All oh, right. This man with leprosy. Now, obviously, he shouldn't have been coming to Jesus. He shouldn't have been, but he must have been listening in at the Sermon on the Mount because he was full of faith and he came to Jesus. And uh, he knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. One thing that he had taken from Jesus' ministry that... Uh, that Jesus could do powerful things in the name of God and through the power of God. And he was convinced that Jesus could heal him. He wasn't sure whether Jesus would, 
After all, he was a leper and Jesus was a rabbi, perhaps. And, uh, but he had faith. And because of his faith, we know that Jesus obviously said, of course I'm willing. And he healed the man. And he went away healed. And also in this chapter, we have another instance of healing where the centurion came to Jesus, verse 7 and 8. And Jesus said to him, this is the centurion who wanted his servant healed, he said, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Now this is a, a different healing. This wasn't the sick person, such as the leper, coming to Jesus with faith to be healed, but it was a third party, someone else coming on the behalf of someone else. And it was this third party that had the faith, and Jesus was able to act on that faith and heal the servant. And uh, the third instance is the, uh, the verses in, I can't read, I think it's verse 15, isn't it? Verse 14 and 15. When Jesus came to Peter's house, Jesus must have been in Peter's house several times, I'm sure. Um, but when he came into the house, he saw Peter's mother, mother-in-law, lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. And uh, this is amazing, really. Uh, as I say, Jesus must have been in Peter's house before and Peter's mother-in-law was sick. Why hadn't Peter told Jesus about it and asking for a healing? Well, it was his mother-in-law, so perhaps it didn't, didn't come to him. So anyway, Jesus saw her and he didn't leave her as she was. He touched her and healed her and the fever left her. And the point I want to make is that uh, Jesus, through his faith, brought healing to this lady. And uh, in, in this little passage, this chapter, after the Sermon on the Mount, we have these three healings which lay a foundation of how healing happens. It either happens through the faith of the person who wants to be healed and is looking to Jesus for healing, through the faith of a third party who comes on their behalf uh, to seek healing, and uh, the third one, of course, on the faith of the healer, the one who is bringing healing as faith for the healing. And uh, in all the miracles of healing, it falls into those categories. And I want to give just uh, some quick examples of that. First of all, the, uh, this, the hearing, healing of the faith of the person who wants to be healed. This little Anglican church that I was saying, we went and got a part, be a part of their ministry of healing. How it used to work is they would have a, a word preached and we would sing some things and we would pray and then call for the people who believed that God wanted to heal them to move to the end of the row. We left the end of the rows free of people and they, during a time of prayer, they'd got to come and sit in the seats uh, at the end of the row if they believed that God would heal them. And uh, then uh, two or three, maybe four of us, 
would go and walk down the rows and pray for these people. We didn't know what was wrong with them. We had no idea. But we would just lay hands on them and pray, God, meet this person at their point of faith and heal them. And uh, the amazing thing is that we saw healings in that situation. Um, there was a lady healed of uh, breast cancer, another one of chronic depression, and all sorts of sicknesses, and uh, which they testified to at a later date, that uh, God had touched them and healed them. And uh, obviously there were some who didn't feel that God had healed them, and they would come again and, and go again. But the point I'm making on this, in this situation, we were relying on the person who wanted to be healed to have the faith. And if they got the faith, it seemed they got healed. And the next one is the healing because of the faith of a third party. Now, obviously, if you're talking about um, someone who who you know or love, who you're not with, maybe you've got a child or something like that, or a grandmother, and uh, you want prayer for them, then if you've got the faith, then the healing can go. Now, Barbara's just going to come and share a testimony of that sort of healing, not by the, hey, the faith of the sick child in this instance, but of the uh, faith of the third This is where I get back my own back on my son. <laughs> 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 okay, I've got to come in a bit. Okay, I'm on screen, yes. Okay. Um, when Adam was a baby, he was born with milk intolerance. We didn't know it for some time because I was breastfeeding, but as soon as I gave him milk, he was double up and crampy and horrible, um, diarrhea and everything. Um, and this carried on, and eventually, when he was nine months old, they took him into hospital to sort it out, and uh, while I was there, they were giving him milk, and he had diarrhea, but nobody wrote it on his chart. So after three days, they said, he's all right to go home, and I took him home, and as I put him in the bathroom to change his nappy, he just went white and sort of disintegrated before my eyes. So I didn't know what to do. I, I'm, I'm a sick children's nurse, and you panic when it's your own child. So I picked him up, and we went straight back to the hospital. And both, he'd caught a very bad, a staph, what's called a staphylococcal aureus infection, and both his lungs collapsed. And he was in a terrible state. And um, then it was found out that nobody had written down that he'd had diarrhea all this time and vomiting while they'd given him milk and everything. So he was very poorly, and they didn't expect him to live, and it was horrible. We went home, and you know how you go to bed and you look at each other and you don't quite know what to pray. But we know in scripture, in um, James, it says, um, call the leaders of the church to pray over him. So we called our minister and he said, oh, I don't believe anything like that. We said, no, but it says in the Bible, we call you and you come and pray over him. So he, eventually he was persuaded to come and you know, he prayed over Adam, and Adam started getting better. <laughs> God's so good, isn't he? It wasn't the man's faith, but God honours his word, doesn't he? He honours his word. And um, then when, 
And so we took home, and then after that I had something called prosopy, which is a soya-based milk that he had to have. And we had to read every jolly packaging to make sure there was no milk in it. And then we got involved with the charismatic movement after that. Um, and I felt, one day I just felt wrong about collecting the prescription for this stuff, because it was all on prescription. You had to collect 24 tins every now and then. And, and I knew I shouldn't collect the next prescription. I don't know what it was. It was kind of in me. I shouldn't be collecting. So I collected it, obviously, <laughs> because I didn't know what else to do. And they used to live in our downstairs loo, these tins. So every time I used the downstairs, I'd be looking at these tins and thinking, I shouldn't have collected the last two. You know, I'd got a set left I was working through. And it got to the last day, which happened to be on Easter Sunday. And I used the last tin and I had to start these new tins, which God had told me not to collect. Um, so I went to the church and, and I said, can you pray for Adam? I'm sure I'm not supposed to start these tins. And uh, they said, okay. So they prayed for him and they gave him a drink of milk and nothing happened. He wasn't sick. But I didn't know what I was expecting, you know. He was four at the time, and it was Easter Sunday. So I could even find the date if I wanted to, because it was such an interesting moment. And I went back to the hospital with him, because he was then having milk. We gave him milk. He didn't like cheese, and he still doesn't like cheese to this day. Anybody who knows him knows. But he, he drinks milk all right. So I, I took him back to the hospital. We had to keep going back to the hospital, and... And uh, they said, I said, he's been healed. The church prayed for him and God's made him better. And they, no, no, you know, it'll come back. It'll come back, it'll come back. Because he'd been in hospital three months with this thing earlier on. Um, and when he was seven, I went in and I said, he was healed on Easter Sunday when he was four. And he's been drinking milk ever since God healed him. And the lady says, oh, well, I'll just write miracle across his thing and shut the books on it. And that's what she did. Yeah, so, uh, right, if we're going to leave it at that, and uh, be prepared for next Sunday. So come asking God to give you faith, to give you encouragement, and to give you possibly a word to uh, raise other people's expectations. God can speak through any of, one, of us, us who are submitted to him. And uh, so come prepared to listen to God as well as to minister on his behalf. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for all your goodness and all that you do in our lives. Many things that are obvious and seeable and other things, Father, hidden deep within us when you bring revival to us or restoration to us. But we thank you, you're a loving God, and your desire is to touch the hearts and the lives and the bodies of people who are suffering and struggling. And we do pray, Father, that you'll give us uh, just an influx of faith and expectation. And uh, through this week, keep us uh, loving you, serving you, learning about you, and uh, seeking your will and purpose for our lives and for the blessing of others. In Jesus' name, amen.